Hey everybody, welcome back to the Can of Boomers podcast. This is Tom. You know, as baby boomers, we all lived through prohibition to this day. Uh, you know, the tide seems to be turning and we're legal in 30 states now and hopefully something will happen on the national level in the next couple of years. But there was a long period of government propaganda about reefer madness and the devil's weed and it had an effect. We all believed it. Our guest today, Ann Lee, is 88 years old. She believed it for a long time until her son had a bad accident and needed pain relief. And he came home and said, Mom, I'm smoking cannabis. And as she'll tell you, as you'll hear, that was the last thing she wanted to hear. It changed her life. In 2012, she was one of the founders of RAMP, Republicans Against Marijuana Prohibition. And she's working today to um, overturn prohibition. It's an interesting episode, and I hope you'll give it a listen. Thanks. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Tell me, how, how did you begin to get involved in this? Because of our son, after he had an accident, put him in a wheelchair as a paraplegic when he was in the hospital. He chanced upon some research that was done by a couple of doctors in cannabis and spasticity, and he got out of the hospital. And, of course, because it's illegal doesn't mean you can't get it. It just means where you have to go to get it and do you know the quality. But he got out and he got it. And I can remember to this day, this was in August of 1990, that he looked at us and said, Mom and Dad, marijuana is good for me. And you talk about a sea change in two 60-year-old parents. That was a sea change. We had to look again at what we thought was was right and realize that the government had really been lying big time about cannabis, that it was really... Actually, cannabis is much safer than alcohol, and that it is good medicine. It was good for our son. So he moved to California, to Oakland, and um, where he could get it legally, and did quite well for himself in Oakland. And in fact, coined the term Oaksterdam, and uh, start, actually started OU, Oaksterdam University, which is a trade school for people who want to be in the marijuana business. It's like the first trade school, right? Correct. So you said he was uh, using it to uh, for spasticity and for pain, etc., etc., as well. I know for spasms mm-hmm. is what is what he used, and you know it really it doesn't it shouldn't matter why he was using it. Think about it. As long as somebody uses alcohol responsibly, there's no problem, right? Right. So it should be the same analogy with cannabis. If somebody wants to use cannabis. For whatever reason, whatever reason, as long as they use it responsibly, that should be okay. So there's there's been so much hypocrisy in the marijuana laws that it just, uh, certainly the biggest flaw I found in this wonderful country of mine, which believes in people having the rights to, certainly the right, Uh, shouldn't have the right to use the medicine that they and their doctor think is good for them. There are so many uses. I mean, we know that it helps little kids with epilepsy. It can help people who have suffered from post-traumatic stress. It can help with anxiety and insomnia and inflammation and, and pain. There's many applications. But the sad part is because it was has been considered a Schedule One drug, that is no redeeming feature, more dangerous than cocaine, which is a Schedule Two. It was very hard for people to get, for scientists to get the cannabis to do the research. 
research was hampered a great deal by the law, which is very sad when you think about it. All the things we, we allow people to do research on, they certainly should have been allowed to do research on cannabis. Absolutely. So tell me, how long after that 1990 episode did you mobilize and get the idea to start Republicans Against Marijuana Prohibition? Oh, that came about a, a great deal later. We um, first... There was a group here in Houston called Drug Policy, DPT, Drug Policy, my goodness, of Texas. And um, it was made, it was very, to me, it was extremely interesting, the people who made this group, who made up this group. One was a retired uh, pharmacy professor emeritus who was one of the originals. And they had no personal belief in it, as, as my husband and I did. And there were several other just outstanding people who realized that it was that cannabis was not the the weed of the devil, as I was want to say, but had a lot of uses and should be used. And so that's how that's how sort of how that all came about. And so we we. We just plodded along, supporting the issue as best we could. It was very interesting to me. I've always been a very active Republican and been a precinct chairman for a long time. And even though my views on marijuana became known, I, I was still asked, people still asked that I endorse them as precinct chairman, despite the fact that they knew how I felt about this. So it didn't hamper my beliefs at all. But anyway, it was not until we went to a normal convention in Los Angeles, and I was on a panel at that normal thing, and of the five of us on the panel, we realized that three of us were Republicans. And my husband and I started talking about why were we always getting such pushback from, from Republicans? Because when you look at it, it is not conservative to... Prohibition is not a conservative policy at all. Prohibition does everything possible to support the things that we believe in as conservatives. Smaller government, fiscal responsibility, and also, why should the government tell me that I cannot use the medicine that my uh, doctor and I feel is best for me? So we did not realize, as I said, we didn't we realize then that the government was not on our side at all. Anyway, we came back and um, somehow, not, and it was my husband who came up with the name Ramp, saw a pattern at after leap, which is law enforcement against prohibition. And so I asked Richard one time, I said, where did Ramp come from? He said, Mom, I don't not know. You all came down the next morning and said we have Ramp and started getting people to see if anybody was interested. Was it originally um, accepted or did you have a lot of opposition to it? Oh, I, I've never, it hasn't been exactly universally accepted, but the people that did accept it, the ones that really saw the hypocrisy in these laws, were the, what we, the YR is a young Republican. And so when we came back from California with, with Ramp, Ramp was just, was just a good idea. But it was the young Republicans who, I always say, they, they gave it wings to fly. They're the ones that made something out of Ramp. And um, so it was the young people who did so much for it. And to this day, we have some of those same young people, two of which, by the way, um, two of the board members of Ramp are young people who just have, who now studying for their, their um, they just finished law school, and they're studying for their finals to become lawyers. So I'm looking forward to having two young lawyers on our ramp board. Can you tell me about some of the successes you've had? Do you work with legislators? How do you get change to affected? We just basically do that. What we do, we go, go to Austin, and we have a particularly 
outstanding lobbyist who is a remarkable woman, and she joined RAMP. We've got a tremendous ally to help us in our lobbying. And all we do, all we try to do is ask people to look at the, look at the issue. Just look at the facts. Because it, it's federal law, but it's gradually being changed. There's a movement afoot now that's possibly to make from a set of a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 2, which would be a big help. There is some, some things going on both nationally and on the state level to help us here. Is there a tipping point? Do you see it in Texas where there's been, I think, 29 states now where it's legal as a medicine and more and more states where it's legal for adults to use uh, marijuana for any purpose? Do you think Texas is getting close? I think it's getting close in spite of our governor, who has not ever been very supportive of marijuana, but who did sign a little bitty bill we had, which is make it possible for children who have epilepsy, who can use a CBD oil to control their, their seizures. So we've had a, a little bit of success from, from Greg, but I, I do not consider Greg Abbott a friend of this, of this issue as he should be. Do you urge people to vote for candidates who support cannabis? That's a good question, because I can't remember too many times when we've had a clear-cut choice between somebody who does and somebody who does not. I think our big issue is just to keep trying to promote the issue, educate people, and ask them to look at the facts. That You know, I would like it to be as hard for kids to get marijuana as it is for them to get alcohol. And the analogy there, I think, is an interesting one, because back when with alcohol prohibition, there was a very wealthy woman. She was from the Martin Salt family, Pauline Martin Saban, and she thought alcohol, a world without alcohol would be great. And she just... She, along with Herbert Hoover, supported alcohol prohibition. Well, they got prohibition, and they found out it wasn't so great. And one of the big, big things they realized with prohibition, it was now easier for a kid to get alcohol than before. Because what license did a saloon keeper need? They didn't have to have a license, and they could sell alcohol to anybody. And so it was much easier for kids to get alcohol with prohibition than we, before we had prohibition. And so now I ask you, sir, what license does a drug dealer need to sell your kid marijuana? That's an excellent point, And Once you regulate it, you can begin to control the, the distribution, right? Right. It needs to be tax-controlled and regulated, like we do alcohol. That's To me, that's the bottom line. That's the one that makes sense. That's the one that has the most chance of, of doing what we want to do with, with regulation. One last question, and that is, what can our listeners do to help support the cause? Oh, you know, just let people know how they feel about it. Not just cannabis for medicine, but also the cannabis that they make out of which they make hemp. long time ago in an interview in Oakland, I made the statement that the drug war is so bad, it's the most racist thing we've had since Jim Crow. And it wasn't too long after that that uh, Michelle Alexander came out with her book, The New Jim Crow, and she documented how what it has done and how it has what we now call our, our prisons or the plantations. That's where we get so much of our free labor is in, in the prisons that are filled more with, with um, African-Americans and Hispanics. And, and it's been, it's, to me, it's a horrible block on my, on my country. Just look at the facts. Right. Well, and that, that in itself is a big challenge because you're trying to overcome 
decades of propaganda and a sense of stigma. So people have to get rid of the stigma and realize the fact that, hey, this is a legitimate medicine. Right, it is. And of course, uh, we um, law enforcement has not really been a, a real friend because uh, because of asset forfeiture, they can just get so much of their budget just from taking from people. And also, it's, it's just this this law has not been good for my country at all. It's, it's just a, it's a bad law. And what do you do when you have bad law? You change it. Well, thank you for your efforts and for taking the time to speak with us. So we support the cause and we appreciate your time and, and the struggles you've had. You know, when you when you believe something as strongly as my husband and I believe this, you really don't have a choice. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.